McNulty, he's done incredibly well to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty, cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bombay. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle. For McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty, oh, short yes. for Bombay. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bombay. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe, nonchalant, fantastic, brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They've won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce proud to be Pompey. Hi, Bobby fans, and welcome to the Forecast episode 82. Well, I'd say said I'd be annoyed if you didn't beat Rochdale, and I am. But joining me on the podcast to maybe give me some therapy is Andy Mitchamore. How are you, Andy? Hello, mate. Um, I was hoping you'd be doing the same for me, so that's awkward. It's like we've both turned up to the therapist's office as patients. That's not, not a great start. That can work, can't it? Vice versa. Have a chat. What, just put two people in a room and fight it out till they feel better? Yeah, that, that's the Do plan. It. That is this episode, people. So, uh, right, I suppose to lead it into, we are going to review the Rochdale game. Following on from that, we are going to go and talk about some breaking news. And that's right, there are players leaving Pompey to talk about. Following on from that, we're going to talk to Adam from the Wigan Progress with Unity podcast, um, who's giving us the lowdown on Wigan to help preview the game but also go into a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes at Wigan and giving us his insight on that. Right, Andy, Rochdale, again, it was, it was pretty awful, wasn't it? It was fairly turgid, if we're going to be brutally honest about it. Um, we predicted that fairly open attacking game and beforehand based on what Rochdale, gen- how they generally have played in the past. Um, and yet, it seems like we find a way to drag people down to our level. That seems to be the um, the theme that I'm picking up so far this season and towards the end of last season. Uh, there were definitely improvements in some respects. I mean, if you looked at the game on paper and you were doing this purely stats-based, you were doing a Freddie Webb, like loving the numbers, you'd look at the stats and say, okay, Pompey had 24 shots, over half possession. Um, pass accuracy was up from the Shrewsbury game. So Shrewsbury game was 62% um, successful passes. This game was 75%. Um, so yeah, you, you could put that argument in there. Um, unfortunately, it's hard to really support that argument if you watched most of the game. Uh, I mean, one of the things I guess we're going to get into is that when the game is slow and controlled, we look fairly solid, but completely blunt going forward. But then as soon as the game opens up slightly and we do start creating chances, as happened in the last, what, the last 20 minutes of that Rochdale game, last 25 minutes, as soon as that starts happening, we look a little bit more panicky, a lot less composed, and the opposition get chances as well. I know that's kind of the nature of the game when it becomes more open anyway, but for us to create any sort of attacking threat seems to consequently lead to us looking decidedly dodgy at the back. So it's it's frustrating that there doesn't seem to be any middle ground there. Absolutely. And you said that going forward, we look absolutely blunt, mate. And I'm going to be blunt about this because 
we really need someone to come into the middle of midfield and replace Brim Morris. I mean, I know I'm annoyed, but Brim Morris, he gives absolutely nothing going forwards for us. Um, he, he sort of uh, passes sideways or backwards. Tom Lane does not need someone standing next to him who does absolutely nothing, in my opinion. Um, what's on, Tom Naylor is perfectly capable of marshalling in front of the back four on his own with another player going up and pressing, winning the ball back high and giving some help to our strikers who look absolutely lost up there. John Marquez, he's running around, he's coming deep to try and get the ball. Absolutely, you know, he's lost the ball because he's not, he's not around. Marcus Harness, again, he looks lost, but he's actually playing further up the field than anyone else on the pitch, by the way, positionally, which again is odd when your striker is not that person. We need someone to come in and get their foot on the ball and start moving it quickly. Andy, my question to you is, who is that player? Is it Ben Close? Is it Andy Cannon? Or, or is it basically anyone in particular who can fill that role? An excellent question, Hugh. If I knew that, I would be uh, applying for a position on the Pompey staff. I agree with you that Morris isn't particularly adding anything uh, to that sort of central defensive midfield. Um, you can make all the jokes in the world about being the wrong season and all the cliches that, yeah, you know, wrong time of year. But at the end of the day, it's just not, it's not working. I mean, what, if it's not working, then you would try a different combination or you try a different mechanism, right? And I can see people calling for someone like Close to come into the team. Um, it's, not, it's not even as if Bruno Morris is having particularly dreadful games. He just disappears a bit and, and is ineffectual. Uh, on on the game, and that's not what you. Well, it's not what we need at the moment. There are myriad players who can sit in that defensive position and sort of disappear slightly and not make any horrendous mistakes, but not really contribute anything either. If I knew the answer, I'd be uh yeah, I'd be doing a different role than what I do do in my life. But the the issue I think we're seeing really, if, if we're prioritising our issues, I'd say that what you've just touched on there about how deep Marquis is dropping is the first issue to look at um that is an th- issue of this though andy that i think that the the fact that midfield is so deep is basically mm. that link up is is leading to marcus having to come so deep to try and get the ball then is that not an issue with the number 10 then as well if it's sort of the person playing in the number 10 position who should be that that focal point between close uh, between Naylor and morris and uh marquis Whoever's, play, whoever's playing at number 10, surely that's the issue if Marcus is having to come that deep. Because we've seen that in that last game, Marcus's average position on the pitch was deeper than Jacobs and Harness uh, after Jacobs came on. And he's only ever so slightly further ahead than Lee Brown towards the other goal in terms of average position on the pitch. Well, you know, Lee Brown this season has come in with absolute flair, isn't he? He's in you know, shots on target well, are higher than most of our strikers. Probably not far off being literally true. If- literally true actually um i've seen i've seen lee brown have a shot on target which is more than i can say for most players in the team Um, but anyway we're getting distracted but yeah i think that the the interplay between the the two central defensive midfielders and the number 10 position is the issue here and i as much as i agree that morris's performance haven't really set the world alight i don't think he's the answer in the long term I don't know if playing the how they've been told to play and playing the system, we've got any other players in the squad who would come in and do a better job because it's that it's the link up play that's the issue and the style of the link up play that's the issue, not necessarily the players themselves. 
and people will probably disagree with that football's a game of opinions but that's my take on it having watched the game so far this season no i actually agree i do think it's a formation issue here and I, as I've been saying, I do think we should only have Tom Naylor sitting deep and then we should have two central players pushing forward. Whether one of those is a box-to-box player and one of those is a 10, okay? You don't need to have two players sitting back in that defensive role like we do at the moment. But is, is that what we're playing because of the lack of confidence in the centre-back pairing? Naming no, I don't names. think so. It's, you it's, Jacket, it's Jacket's favourite formation of playing two anchoring the midfield when it's not needed. It just isn't needed. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it is his formation of choice. You're right. He was playing a similar formation when we had, on paper, strongest centre-back pairings. But he's certainly not going to be changing it at the moment when you've got a young, injury-prone centre-back playing alongside a slightly more mistake-prone centre-back. He's not going to see that as the right time to suddenly stop playing his go-to two central defensive sort of anchor midfielders as much as I'd like him to. And I'd like us to have you know, a stronger back four or a less accident-prone back four, um, which obviously we're going to come on to with a new signing later. But, yeah, it's difficult to fix on a podcast, huh? It is difficult to fix. Although, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get out here is Br- Bryn Morris is playing even safer than anyone else who's played next to Tom Naylor in that role out of any of the other players we've got. So it's being even more evident, basically, uh, of how defensive a formation it is yeah. and how defensive we are playing. So, you know, Andy Cannon in that role may be defensive, you know, in, in this, how he's being told how to play. But I bet you if he gets the ball, he's still going to run forward with the ball. Yeah, that's exactly. If he picks up that ball from Watmore or Raggett in a sort of central defensive position and drives into that gap towards the centre circle, actually runs with the ball and drives into that gap, that means that the number 10 doesn't have to come so deep to collect the ball. Therefore, Marquis, again, if you look at a chain reaction, Marquis doesn't have to drop deep to compensate for the number 10 dropping deep. Therefore, it affects Harness's movement on one wing and whoever we're going to have playing on the left. Well, sorry, Curtis on the left and, well, wherever Jacob. Still not entirely clear how this is all going to work. Potentially, Jacob's in at 10. But it just that one change in style, it has consequences for sort of four or five, the movement of four or five other players. And in theory, that link-up play and how the ball actually gets delivered to Marquis, so we don't end up giving the ball to Marquis, facing away from Cole um, on the edge of the centre circle with him having to wait for Harness or Curtis to overlap. And then the pace of, well, the, kind of the point of Harness and Curtis is they've got that pace to break down the wings. And if they're using that pace, then Marquis doesn't have time to get into the box or doesn't have time to keep up with play by the time he's distributed it and then sort of chasing after to try and catch up the play. And yeah. it's, having, it's having an effect on him. You can see how frustrated he is. The number of niggly fouls he gave away in that game against Rochdale, sort of, there was one in particular that was the Rochdale player facing away from goal on the touchline, ball about to go out for a Pompey throw-in, and for no reason whatsoever, gave him a little kick from behind. Not, not a big kick, but the Rochdale player is going down 100 times out of 100 to win an easy free kick. And you could just see from the body language how frustrated he is. And... He had that, that one goal he scored, uh, was it the East, I want to say the Stevenage game? Is that the only game we've scored in? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that narrows it down. Champions. Um, yeah, so that, the, the finish in that looked like he was getting confidence back. You know, it was a hell of a finish, but the three chances against Rochdale, one was a decent save from the keeper that um, probably shouldn't have had a chance with and a couple off target, I think it was, or maybe the other way. Yeah, I think it was two off target that should have been on target and one the keeper saved that he shouldn't have had a chance with. You you know, 
for for a, a League One forward with his reputation coming in with three chances like that, you expect him to score one of them. Um, and again, small margins. Yeah, and again, and I think the thing is as well, it's, 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 it's an idea of Kenny Jacket that crossing is supposed to be some sort of, uh, you know, uh, productive sort of method that Pompey have always historically been good at crossing and crossing is where we get our output from. And we look absolutely awful putting a ball in the box at the moment. And it seems to me like it's sort of, can you push up far enough that if you can physically kick the ball into the box, you just put your foot through it and you just smash it into the box and you hope that someone gets on the end of it. It seems aimless at the moment. Um, crossing looks bad. And then corners, what the hell has happened there, mate? Because we look absolutely rubbish from corners. Yeah, but we've got loads of them. So, you well, know, apparently corners equal sides, points, right? Two, two sides of the story. There used to be an advert on years ago, like, or it's like a, a satirical advert about, a terrible, terrible football team. And then suddenly their manager goes mad, like with enjoyment on the touchline. And then the voiceover was like, it's always nice to win a corner. And it was like this big satirical, I don't even know, it was like 10. Can you do 15. the voice? Can you do I'd, the... Re- I'd really rather not. Uh, we're not drinking on the pod this evening. So that's, might have to get saved up. Um, definitely not happening. Um, but it's, it's weird that we've kind of morphed into that satirical football team where winning corners has become something we're really proud of but that's that works if you've got a if you've got a team that can really take advantage of that so if you play to your strengths you look at sort of an extreme example the way that Stoke did with Rory Delap because they had that sort of golden bullet and they could play to their strengths and teams didn't know how to defend against it then yeah by all means but it's a tactic that we're you know we're, we're, we're thrilled how many corners we're getting but we're not looking that threatening for them and as you say the delivery is not always not frequently great and yeah, it's, it's playing for a tactic that we're not, you know, particularly adept at at the moment. Exactly. And then, then uh, spoiler alert, if you're someone like AFC Wimbledon, who's got someone like Steve Seddon who can put the ball in the box, then maybe the tactic would work. But um, yeah, we haven't. So let's go into a segue, breaking news. So let's start with some sad news, to be fair, from a, an emotional point of view that club legend Gareth Evans is a... Uh, Am I right in saying Andy actually left now? Because when I was he's put an Instagram before. post out, put an Instagram post out, so it looks pretty final to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Gareth Evans will be leaving the club after I believe five years at the club. Um, I didn't look that stat up, so that's pretty rubbish if it's wrong. But from a footballing point of view, I think it's time for him to move on. I think that's fair to say. Um, he deserves to be playing week in, week out, first team football. He's got you know a lot of passion to give. Um, Andy's shaking his head at me. Um, no, no, I'm I'm looking at comments and this, that and the other. I mean, we're going to come on to it. Uh, in the comments section of that Instagram post is Brett Pittman saying, uh, good luck, mate, you deserve better, which I think says it all. Um, yeah. I think I, I agree with you from a footballing point of view, as, as I mean, we've spoken off air about it. Um, as a, In a footballing point of view, it makes sense. Um, I don't think he would make it into our sort of first eleven. He's not going to be playing right wing in the near future for us. I don't think he fits in that number 10 role, as I said in the last podcast or the one before. Uh, we have other options there now that would be preferable to me. Um, he's realistically not going to play at right back where we've got uh, Johnson and we've got Bolton. So he's third choice there. He's very much a squad player. And if Jacket's trying to free up space in the squad, I don't actually mind... The, the footballing decision of him going, but I just you just wouldn't be surprised if it comes out in a certain, certain number of months 
um, exactly what's happened. I mean, a, a, few, a while ago where captaincy and vice captaincy got swapped around very, very suddenly. And, you know, Pittman and Evans and that sort of player started suddenly falling through the ranks. And the stories are starting to come out now about how it's happened and that maybe it's not been managed. I mean, I don't know how politically correct we want to be on the pod this evening, but it's not been managed well by the sounds of it. And the treatment of some people who, the you know, who seem to be thoroughly nice blokes. And I don't think you can fake that for a period of four to five years. You can't fake whether or not you're a nice person or not to however many tens of thousands of Pompey fans. And these people looked like they'd been sort of treated like crap, thrown in the dirt, sort of told over a phone call they're not welcome anymore. And um, yeah, so I don't know how PC we're going to be when we talk about this and we talk about Gary Roberts as well in the article that's come out uh, recently, his quotes in the, in the new book that's come out. So we're not going to be PC at all about this, to be honest. Let's just go into exactly what has been said. So um, Gary Roberts put out, and it's from, from the news, an article that's just been published by the original um, quotes come from Neil Allen's book Played Up Pompey 3 so you can see the link there so in the news he said there was so much anger inside me at the time that I didn't want to give a farewell interview to the news until I calmed down I thought I deserved more respect after what I achieved at Pompey but it doesn't really work like that um, he goes on to say on the first day of pre-season I went in to see our new manager Kenny Jacket. By all accounts, he'd already rang up five or six of the lads telling um, them they were part of the plans and he was looking forward to working with them. Now, I thought I'd introduce myself. Kenny said he watched some games from previous seasons I had played in. He was looking forward to working with me. Thanks for coming to see me. So he straight up looks at him and says, like what you've done, Gary, looking forward to working with you. That's where I am. Um, and Andy, if you get told as a player like that, you sort of expect the manager to say either way, honestly, didn't you? Um, either in my, you're in my plans or, sorry, Gary, you're not. But he gets Joe Gallen to go and speak to him and tell him that he's not welcome to go and train with the youth team. So being forced out the club, according to Gary Roberts, let's put that out there, I suppose, he seems like a genuine guy, Gary Roberts. Andy, is it fair to say that this is a continuation of the trend, which seems to be former players coming out and saying that, and current players as well, that they've been mistreated by Kenny Jacket and given the silent treatment and forced out for no reason? Yeah, um, I was looking for a tweet earlier. I couldn't, couldn't actually find it in the end. Someone listed a few months ago the, uh, a list of, of current and ex-Pompey players from the last couple of years who had spoken out either during or after leaving the club or had been publicly treated not fantastically while at the club. And it's a very long list. And again, I said last week on the pod that I'm not like the, the most dramatic of people. I don't call for managers heads. I'd rather have success with the, you know, the, the, the management team we've got rather than have all this uproar and the drama of changing managers, but there's a common denominator here. And some of these people who have come out and, and made comments, as I, as I just said, they seem to be thoroughly nice blokes. And we've spoken to people who, have, uh, who know them personally and have also sort of um, validated that, that thought process. And they think they're thoroughly nice blokes too. And there's a common denominator in all of this. And it is mistreatment. And you get a reputation in any job sphere in the world, whether it's what you do, whether it's what I do that world in that job environment isn't actually that big. If you look at the Football League, the EFL, it's like this metaphorical incestuous family where everyone moves around 
it's like politics. You're never truly sacked. You just take up a different position. And you look at week in, week out, how many ex-Pompey players we come up against and how many, it's that six degrees of separation, how many players they are now playing with that they will have obviously just gone out, had a drink and spoken about their time at Pompey. And let's say that we've got, let's say conservatively, 10 players have left Pompey under circumstances that are not optimal, that they've not been good exits. They feel like they've been forced out. Let's say there's 10 of those people who are all at different clubs now. They are now playing with 10 players each. So that's immediately, just with that first degree of separation, that's 100 players in the English Football League who will know... Like there's, there's reputations. They're, they're going to know people in the club who acted in a way they shouldn't have done. And that's 100 people who they're not going to want to play under... Well, let, let's... Yeah, our manager, Kenny Jacket. That's... Let's put a name to it. So that's 100 people. Let's say 10% of those tell someone else. That's another 100 if it's 10% of the 1,000 people in total. My math is probably wrong there on that second bit, but I'm doing it in a rush and I'm ranting. So it's like word spreads quickly reputation spread quickly and um, in any field whether it's yeah whether it's academia with me whether it's in your field once you've got a poor reputation that is bloody hard to come back from and um, yeah people aren't going to want to sign for us if they feel like they're going to get promised you know if they're going to be treated dishonestly that's that's the worst thing you can have in a professional environment is to be treated with you know dishonestly if someone lies to your face that's like the biggest deal breaker for me and if that's happened to gary roberts then he should be extremely angry. And I'm, I'm not surprised that he said what he said. I mean, no. that's like 10% of what I could say on the subject. I've got, for, for me, I'm normally, you know, fairly um, pacifist about it all. Or that's probably not the right word. Um, but I've got pretty, yeah, I've got quite strong opinions on this. And it's, it, to be honest with you, mate, it's pissed me off. Because yeah, no. I'm, I, 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 like being I, like being, fans. I like being proud of my club. I like thinking my club's got integrity. I like thinking that, you know, we've got this Pompey family, we do you know Pompey in the community it's all very ethical it's all like a nice the club's got a nice feel to it the the Pompey fans that we know through Pompey News now and through the Fat and Faithful and people I know in the season tickets who sit around me like it's a really nice close-knit group of people who've got one thing in common but come from millions of different backgrounds and then they just have this like toxic dishonesty and this sort of yeah this underlying theme of people being unpleasant to each other and dishonest to each other behind the scenes and and players that we like getting treated like crap and it's it's really frustrating because yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna mute myself and let you jump in mate i've just talked for far too long in a row i think just when you think that you you don't want you can't think about having jacket out anymore you know you just it just makes you more and more angry and the more you look away from it um you you can try and hide from it you can try and sort of like push it to one side but at the end of the day, it just seems to be getting worse and worse as more and more comes out. Um, and I've got to say that I think if the fans were there at Fratton Park now, Kenny Jacket would be in a lot more trouble than he is at this moment in time. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, I've said it on the podcast many times, I'm not like a jacket out kind of person. I think that um, generally people jump to, to decisions too quickly in football. And it's nice that we've got owners who don't, you know, didn't do that straight away. But to be honest with you, results have been yeah there or thereabouts that sort of thing to me is second to the feel of the club and yeah to have this sort of toxic undercurrent to me that that bothers me more than two nil nil draws against teams who are realistically you know favorites to finish near the bottom of the table i'm more irritated at how 
players who have sacrificed a lot for Pompey, put their bodies on the line, won a title, well, a title and a, a cup in the last few years. It it bothers me more that they're being treated like garbage that by by someone who's come into the club fairly recently and kind of yes, tarnishing the reputation of the club for the last few years. That's more for a reason for me why I would want a managerial change and why I now do want a managerial change. It's not going to come. Um, and again, it's not anything personal. I don't do the whole torrent of abuse on any social media. I think it's unnecessary. However, I'm disgusted at some of the things I hear coming out of the club and there's no smoke without fire. Even Rico Hackett Fairchild saying he's hoping to start enjoying football again. He's only been with us how many months? Exactly. He loves football. He's gone into it as a profession. He's a young football player. How can he be trying to enjoy football again after six, like what I, I'm estimating, six bloody months at Portsmouth? How mm. can we be doing that to young football players? What the hell? Like, how is that a thing? Yeah, it's awful to be honest, mate. But let's let's try and mix it up here and let's give some positive news because there is some positive news. We've been calling out for a centre-back. I've been looking around thinking, watching Raggett playing and every time the ball gets near him, shitting myself. So I thought, right... Is a centre-back going to come? Well, apparently he is. And not only has he come uh, to Pompey and Andy was talking about reputation and all that kind of stuff. Well, this guy's come from outside of the Football League. In fact, he's come from outside of the country. So maybe he's slightly unaware of what exactly is going on at Pompey. But fair play to the man. Um, Rasmus Nikolaisen, which I think I don't know if I pronounced that right, but I've not heard his name said by anyone else. So there we go. That's my stab in the dark. Um, has signed on loan... Um, from the Danish Danish Super League, from uh, oh, what's it called again? FC Midtjylland. Yeah, FC Midtjylland. Thank you, Andy. All good. Um, yeah, he's a young player, twenty three years old, centre back. Quite quick for a uh, a tall guy. Apparently, that's the only comment I've had from someone who knows anything about him. In his little video highlights, he looks steady. Who knows what he's Everyone like? Everyone looks. Mate, I've got. You could put a highlights package together of me and goal. Make me look like Allison, honestly. Uh, Love a yeah. highlights package. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we could try that if you if you had enough highlights. I don't know what kind of highlights it would be, but yeah, no. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Anyway, he's, he's he's come with good pedigree, and they want him back, basically, don't they? It's not sort of a let's get rid of him or loan him out, see if you want him and buy him. It's a situation where they see him as part of their plans going forward, um, and they've just got a lot of competition at that play, and they recognise that young players need to play games in order to improve. So. He's here. He does have a six-month um, break in the loan. He can be called back anytime in January uh, if they want him to, which I'm going to call quite um, happily the Ben Thompson clause. Um, you know, some fans unhappy about that, including myself, because, you know, if you base your whole team around a steady centre-back partnership that gets torn apart in January, not the best look, really. But let's be positive again, Andy. He looks like he's gone with some decent pedigree. He's even played in the Europa Cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Right. Switching the brain to positivity after going off on one. Yeah. He looks like a good signing to be fair. Um, as you say, the old highlights reel is always good. Um, you'd imagine he's going to play left-sided centre-back um, ahead of Raggett. Um, yeah. He's, he's played European football. He's used to winning. So FC Midtjylland are one of the most successful Danish teams over, over recent years. So he's won the Danish league. He's won the Danish cup. He's got European qualifying experience um for his club and yeah the the uh, reports i've seen in terms of the fan response to him leaving they all seem to be praising him which is always a good sign i always look at the comments from the fans of the club that he's leaving and they 
wishing him luck and saying he's a promising sort of future player. And the fact that they've come out and said, this is not going to turn into a permanent deal. This is a loan. We want him back. Is promising. He's played Danish youth football, um, uh, sorry, Danish international youth football uh, for the under 16s up to the under 19s. So he is of that sort of quality that he would hope to be pushing a case to be around the national team in a few years, you'd think, uh, when he reaches his peak in his career. Um, yeah, it looks like a good signing on paper. Um, you'd think it would potentially spell the end for, uh, for Downing in terms of being in, in the match day squad. If we um, can get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, we, we've covered that before. We, do, we don't need to go down the Downing route. We know oh, our no. opinions on, on oh, him. No. Um, so, yeah, he's not going to be a long-term solution. But whether that even matters right now is, I guess, the more relevant question because although we haven't conceded in either game so far, that would be the sort of the case for the defence. But I don't think there's a single Pompey fan that thinks that the back four and the current two centre, sort of the holding midfielders, is the answer for the for the season as a whole. Um, fun fact, uh, Nikolaius, and so his surname literally means son of Nikolai. So that is what uh, Scandinavian teams, or sorry, Scandinavian um, surnames mean. So his father was called Nikolai, or is called Nikolai. That's that's all I've got on him. I like it. I like it. That that is that's the best thing I've heard. Well, I sort of know that, but good one for reminding me, Andy. Um, okay, so let's move on. We've got a new centre back. That's decent. Happy days. Um, Andy, do you feel the squad's now complete? Oh, God. that's a, You just thrown a very big question. Um, I would like to see... I mean, if I name a position, you're going to ask me to give suggestions for that position. I'm not. I'm you're not? not? Making this brief. Yeah, yeah, All right. Um, I think attacking-wise, I can't see us bringing in anyone else now. I think... Um, if you use Harness, uh, sorry, if you use Marquis and Harrison Wright, their goal scorers, uh, if they get good service, and I think winger-wise, combination of Williams, Harness, Curtis, and Jacobs. I mean, that's that's a lot of wingers, right? And then you've potentially got someone like Cannon at Cam if he starts there, or you can obviously bring Jacobs in, which sounds like might be Jacket's plan. But I don't think there's going to be any more depth than that going forward. Um, I think. Central defensive midfield, there's a case for bringing someone in. As you say, we're, we're not enamoured with um, the Morris-Naylor holding midfield of pairing, but it looks like what Jack is, what Jack is going to go with. I think that's been his starting pairing for every game so far, including the cup games. So he's basically picked that as the spine of his team. Um, again, I'd like to see another central defensive midfielder brought in. Don't think it's likely... Um, and then I'd be surprised if we saw anything, anyone else brought in at the back. He's brought in a right back. He's brought in a left back. He's got second choice in both those positions. And we've now got, what, three, what we've got, Raggett, Watmore, Downing and um, Nicolaisen. Plus we've got someone like Naylor can drop in. So we've got four centre-backs with the option of uh, one of the central defensive midfielders dropping back into that position. So I'd, in terms of numbers for each position, I think we've we've got a bit of depth there. So I'd be surprised. But then Evans leaving would suggest that maybe they have opened up a slot to bring someone in. And I'd hope it would be, yeah, either a cam, a specialist cam, rather than putting Jacobs in his second position, or a central defensive holding midfielder. That'd be my preference. But I think we've seen everything. But maybe Evans has left to open up a spot. 
Yeah, you never know. And we actually talk about this later on the podcast with Adam and he gives a bit more of a lowdown on Jacobs as well from a Wigan perspective and whether he thinks that he can play Cam. So uh, we'll talk about that later on. But let's talk about something else a bit more inspiring as well. Um, I'm going to call it Lone Watch. Because I actually went down and watched Alfie Stanley play um, for Bogner um, the other day. We're talking about strikers going out. Um, He actually played in a 4-3-3, mate. Uh, He played up top on the left-hand side basically so in, in a three up front struggled a little bit to get the ball out there uh, played against a very physical side in the FA Cup first round qualifier in South Park who came up and roughed him up a little bit but he came and got the ball well um, he looks good his movement's good his passing's good um, and he just needed a little bit more luck actually on the final ball through to him um, ended up getting taken off for ex-Pompey player Bradley Lethbridge he again came on got an assist and Bogner came from a 2-0 down to draw 2 all and win on penalties. But generally speaking, I thought um, Alfie Stanley looked very competitive as well in how he was playing. Always wanted the ball, um, just needs to be a little bit more vocal. And I'm sure as youth football continues and how he's, sorry, how his loan out of youth football into men's football continues, um, he'll continue developing as a player. So it was great to get down and watch some live football, Andy. That's and- the, the PO forecast doing active scouting on loan watch. That's, uh, that's commitment. Yeah, yeah, so, I'll be go- and I'll be going next week as well, mate. So good there you go. man. Next, next Tuesday, I'll be there, and I'm uh, traveling away to Horsham to do that. So uh, what I'll- a commute! Unbelievable commitment, other side exactly. of the country, pretty much from you. Exactly, mate. Do you know how far away that is? It is at least. I mean, actually, it's a lot further than Matt, who's coming with me, who lives in Crawley. Uh, for me, it's about because I'm going to come straight from Wimbledon, so it's probably about an hour. But uh, there you go. Head of an away day. But I mean, there's there you go. not really any other football to watch now. They've cancelled the thousand fan trials. So, yeah, no, good, would, good opportunity to watch football. I would say to anyone who wants to watch some live football, it, is a, it was probably one of the most exciting games, actually, I've seen in over a year, I reckon, uh, watching that Bogner game, 2-2. Um, great game, penalty shootout. And uh, they won the penalty shootout. So that's always nice, uh, standing behind the goal. All right, let's move on. Um, have we talked about all the new signings and people going in and out? I think we have. I think so, mate. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's cool. Let's move on to the Wigan, Wigan. section because we've got quite a quite, quite a lengthy interview later on as well. So let's talk about Wigan. Our thoughts. Um, I already gave my score prediction for anyone who's listening uh, to Jake on Express FM on Monday, but let's get into this one thing because I think Andy that we're going to be positive. We've got a chance against Wigan, who are a team who are leaky as. Um, at the back, they're struggling. They haven't got Gary Roberts. He's he's not fit. Um, and yeah, they, they are lacking a little bit. However, if he can stay on side, Viv Solomon Otterbar has joined, um, and he can play on the right attacking midfield. So uh, he, he can stay on side. He's he's good at staying on side. He just supplies part. He waits until other people are offside and then passes to them. I mean, Correct. it's, it's good. Right it's good that we've you know we've got over that so quickly. It's been what a year and I actually am over it. I actually wasn't <laughs> that annoyed about it in the first place, if I'm honest. I blame Brett Pittman, but that's I a, still that's dream, I dream about it about once a fortnight. <laughs> I'd stop myself making a weird joke. So yeah, I thought I, you had. Yeah, I could see the cogs turning there. Thank you for not saying that. <laughs> all right, mate. Okay, so Wigan generally, obviously, they might be losing 15 points. We'll go into that more later on in the podcast. But Andy. Let's get your thoughts ahead of our interview uh, with Adam from the Progress of Unity Wigan podcast. Yeah, I mean, if you look on paper at what has happened to Wigan in the last few months, um, obviously we speak about it in, a, in quite a lot of depth uh, in the interview later on in the pod, but they've lost 21 players since the 23rd of July. Um, 
there's a few recognizable names in there. So we're going to see Cal Smith and Viv Solomon Otterbor, as you just noted. So it's, it's not as if, you know, the Bolton situation last year when they were playing under 16s and, you know, getting or trying not to get trounced every game. It's not a situation like that. There are some experienced players uh, in League One in this side and they've kept a couple of players from the championship like Cal Naismith. Um, although I think they didn't uh, say that Naismith is the only player who's starting this weekend who started their last championship game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been a, there's, there's been a lot of turnover um, on paper. Again, I seem to say this every time, on paper I'd rather have the Pompey squad than the opposition squad but we know that that doesn't necessarily translate to a result. However, I mean, our next few games, we've got Wigan, Burton, MK Dons, Doncaster, Gillingham. And if potentially naively, or it's too early to say, if you're looking at getting promoted at the end of the season, those are games you've just got to pick up points from. You have to. Um, then we've got Sunderland and Charlton in the space of a week, and those are extremely losable, even on a on a day where the team turn up. Sunderland and Charlton have players who can win the game by themselves, whereas you wouldn't necessarily say that looking at the other teams I've just named without wanting to be too disrespectful to them. So it's a game that, yeah, you'd certainly expect us to be picking up points. They are quite leaky at the back. Um, you would expect us to score. And I said that against Rochdale. And I said that against Shrewsbury. But I'm going to keep saying it because at some point I'm going to look like a genius. Um, <laughs> you would expect us to score. But um, yeah, I'd, I do think we're going to pick up three points. But if my time on the PO forecast over the last what, two, three years has taught us anything, it is that my predictions are bloody terrible. So, and, you know, rose tinted glasses and I won't ever bet against Pompey. So... Yeah, I think I think there'll be goals. I don't think it's going to be a nil-nil. Give me a prediction. Um, I think an ex-Pompey player will score for Wigan, um, but I do think we'll win the game. I think it'll be 2-1 or 3-1. Yeah, I can see that happening. Do you know what? I, I, was, uh, I was thinking about this and I was, I was trying to give a... Try and stay a bit positive. Um, obviously, Wigan on paper aren't great, and I will put it out there and say that Pompey are going to win one 0 clean sheet again. Jacket will get the plaudits for his three clean sheets in a row, um, and you'll hear that pumped out by the media team and everyone else rolled in the club. That what a solid start to the season. Starting to sound cynical there. You, you're right, mate. Probably need an early night to be honest. But yeah, <laughs> leading into that, we we were a lot more upbeat. Um, with our with our interview here with Adam um, from the Progress of Unity podcast, um, he's also a lecturer of law as well, a university lecturer of law. So he knows his stuff um, and definitely knows more than me and Andy about this sort of situation. So leading you into a great interview here with Adam from the Progress with Unity podcast. Hi, Adam. It's uh, good to have you on the podcast. Uh, we've got Adam from the uh, Progress with Unity podcast, which is a Wigan podcast. Adam, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on here. Um, yeah, uh, contributed to the Progress of Unity podcast. I've been doing that for three or four years and it's been pretty positive most of that time, really, but um, maybe not as much so at the moment. <laughs> so you looked pretty good last season. I think it's fair to say it was um, pretty unfortunate, really, getting relegated and especially in that way. 
it's something that most Pompey fans can really empathise with as well. But just give us a, a brief outline, Adam, of the sort of plight and how you got into the situation in the first place. Yeah, I'll do it as briefly as I can. I mean, it is quite a long story, but I mean, it, it, it dates back to, we, we had Dave Whelan at the helm for 23 years, um, very much like Portsmouth, really. You know, we, uh, we, we had some good success in the Premier League. Um, we obviously won the FA Cup like yourselves, something that we never talk about. Um, relegated in 2013, the same year we won the Cup, um, didn't get straight back up. Uh, Dave Whelan, it was mooted that he might be wanting to sell up. He handed over the reins to his uh, to his grandson. Um, and about 2018, towards the end of 2018, was when the deal was finally complete. And we sold to IEC Limited, which was headed up by uh, Mr. Stanley Choi. Um, it basically is a um, sort of a, a casino-type business, entertainment business, and Stanley Choi is a high stakes uh, poker player. Um, so <laughs> it might have a few warning signs uh, there to start with. But they appointed uh, the Royals, Darren and Joe Royal, to, to manage it on a day to day basis, which seems sensible. He had experience in football. They kept the previous CEO on as well. So there was a bit of continuity. They were paying the bills. Uh, you know, we were losing eight million a year. Most clubs lose money. They were putting the money in the pockets, covering that. Um, we we, we um, had a difficult first season in the championship, but stayed up relatively comfortably. And then they threw a bit of cash last season. Um, not a great amount of cash, but I think they thought it was enough to turn us suddenly into a Premier League team. And um, in November, we were bottom of the league. I actually thought we weren't too far away from being a good side. We conceded lots of last-minute goals. Some of the fans were getting a bit disgruntled with Paul Cook. Um, I wasn't one of those. I, I, I could see where we were going. Um, and from January onwards, um, if, we, if we'd have started the season in January, we'd have finished in the top three. So he, de- he definitely turned it around. Obviously, we had the lockdown. Um, July the f- uh, during the lockdown, we had a uh, another takeover. It was a bit of an old one because uh, Stanley Choi, who we mentioned earlier, was connected to this other company. It was basically taking it off the stock exchange and going into private ownership. Um, Mr. Young, who was part of the Next Leader Fund, um, then took complete, absolute ownership of that company late June. And the day after we'd beaten Stoke City 3-0, to pretty much seal our championship survival, we were placed into administration and 12 points were, of course, deducted. Um, We did appeal that, but I mean, I I know the business, uh, (laughs) I know sports law, and we didn't have a chance of winning that appeal. Uh, We did our best on the pitch. Uh, Paul Cook was excellent, um, you know, to keep those players going, keep them ticking over. A couple of the former Pompey players did really well. Um, Jamal Lowe and Naismith were stars within that run. Uh, record, record league win, 8-0 against Hull City, but just couldn't quite get there. You know, we conceded a couple of late goals in, in matches and we ultimately went down by two points, which obviously all gutted about. Um, and what we're looking for now, because obviously in administration for two and a half months, um, 
we had bills to pay because ultimately Mr Young stopped funding the club. There was 900 grand a month going in and it stopped going in. So we had wages to pay. Um, we had football creditors to pay off. I think we had to pay yourselves off for uh, Jamal Lowe. We owed some money on that. We owed Barnsley money for Kiefer Moore. Those football creditors have to be settled. So we had to settle all those. Uh, we sold uh, only Naismith remains from the side that started against Fulham on the last game of the season. A side that battered Fulham really and should have won. Um, a side who ultimately got promoted to the Prem. Really sad, really. Uh, so sold all, 10 of the first team squad and also sold three, three of our younger players as well who were starving in the under 18 side that got to the quarterfinals of the Youth Cup last year. Uh, they were all sold to Premier League clubs, um, but we needed that to pay the wages. So we're now at a stage where you know we're looking for looking for new owners. As you well know, rumours are always around who's coming in, who might be coming in. But as it stands today, we don't have an owner, and we don't have that much left to sell. So. Yeah, anybody out there wants to invest in a football club, then get in contact with uh, Gerald Krasner and Paul Stanley because uh, there's one waiting to be bought. So to what extent would you say that the issues we're going to have had were due to sort of taking a punt at that big investment to get to the Premier League? Because a lot of championship clubs do that. So one of my housemates is a Reading fan and he's worried at the moment that they're plugging a, a lot of money that he didn't really know they had into some big investments. And the excuse the phrase, but shit or bust kind of mentality. Would you say that that was one of the issues with Wigan? And how much of a surprise was it when you went into administration sort of the day after? I remember it was a really good win for you guys, uh, that 3-0 win against Stoke, and then suddenly to get dumped with that. Yeah, good question. So the first on the first question, um, no, I don't think so, really. I think we were relatively prudent. I mean, the, the administrator, uh, the Football League, um, the Football League arbitration panel as well commented on that Wigan had been a, a well-run club. Yeah, we're running at eight to nine million loss, but even the foot, even the rules allow you to do that. You know, you can. I think it's thirty-six million over three years, so that's twelve million a year on on average that you can lose. So, no, we weren't we weren't doing like what some of the sides. Had, 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 and I know what you mean about about Reading because they, they they paid out quite a lot of uh, big wages. We were paying a little bit in transfer fees, but the wage bill for Wigan was was relatively low. The, pro- the problem is, and, and I guess this this applies to pretty much all the clubs in the Championship. Maybe take take Brentford out, and possibly possibly I don't know Rotherham. Maybe that that those side, everybody else is running at a loss, and ultimately someone's got to put money in to make up that loss. So I guess every club really um, is at risk, whatever that value is. I mean, look at Macclesfield. Macclesfield have gone for the sake of half a million. But if no one's going to put that in, then it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, if you're a massive, massive... Look at look at Aston Villa. Uh, you know, they, they were right on the brink. You know, they were talking 100 million at least. But they're a massive club and it's relative. They've got a much wider sort of catchment in terms of um, owners. So even even though even though we're only looking at sort of four four million to save this club, it, it, it's one of those that it's dicey because we've gone we've gone sort of two and a half months and you know we we haven't really got to not even got to a pay, uh, stage of exclusive bidder. Uh, second question. 
um, absolutely surprised. And talking to people who are, you know, close to football, football finance experts, sports lawyers, people in football administration, uh, the Football Supporters uh, Association, FSA, they said administration was going to happen to somebody, but Wigan were way down the list of who it might happen to. And the timing of it was just remarkable, really. You know, we're talking a month before the transfer window opens again. Um, you know, all right, we might not have had the money to pay the players, but we wouldn't have been the first team to not pay our players. And that might have led to a points deduction, but it wouldn't have been 12 points. We'd have still had a championship side. And, you know, we come to the transfer window. We've got two players who we definitely would have got three or four million more for because they had relegation clauses in um, Joe Williams and Anthony Robinson. So that automatically knocked their price down. But every other player as well, you know, if you're if you're being bought from a club that's seen to be solvent, they're always going to be worth more than, than, than a club that's in administration because ultimately... When you're in administration, you've got to pay all them football creditors off. So we have to sell, sell, sell. It just seems madness to to have done it at that stage of the season. If you've got to put them into administration, why not do it after the season's finished? Take the hit then. And at least you might be able to attract more bidders because you're a championship side. You're that one step away, aren't you, from the promised land? Whereas now, those two steps look really big steps away from the uh, from the championship. So... On the first question, um, I don't think we were overspending. I think our English director is very prudent. Uh, I think they had to be living under, you know, Jonathan Jackson, the chief CEO, living under Dave Whelan. He was always prudent. Um, and the second one, absolutely nobody in football, certainly no Wigan fan saw that coming. Not even our own directors, in Eng the English directors. They got outvoted three to two on getting put into administration. So we, we don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. There's all sorts of rumours and things, but obviously we, we we can't say it on here. But, but clearly it's not a normal administration. It's not one of those that you see coming from a mile off. So that something has developed in the background, whatever that might be. We can leave that to the people who might speculate. So... Just thinking about um, how the EFL uh, could have possibly stepped in as well. Um, is, is there any fault there to lie at the EFL and how they sort of monitor football clubs? And, and secondly, do you think that the EFL treat all clubs the same? So Sheffield Wednesday also had some financial issues and haven't had any points deducted. Um, do you feel that Wigan have been slightly victimised maybe um, in comparison to Sheffield Wednesday? Or is that just fan anger maybe? Yeah, I mean... It's a difficult one for me because I, I, I'm I'm pragmatic because I know how it works. I know how the football league works. Um, from with my fans head on, yeah, clearly it seems very harsh. I mean, there's been seemingly what Sheffield Wednesday and obviously Derby, the football league, must think they have a good case because they've appealed the uh, Derby decision as well. You know, in terms of really sort of messing about with the financial years and the values of the stadiums and all that kind of stuff. They're clearly taking a benefit from that because they can actually, they can actually um, spend more on players. You know, we, we, we went into administration and got no benefit out of it whatsoever. Now, why did we go into administration? Well, 
it's clearly to do with uh, the owners. Whatever the owners put us into administration, uh, he inquired about administration the day after he, uh, sorry, the day before actually he completed his takeover. Um, so it was always on his mind. Um, and you think to yourself, well, should those people be in football? And the answer to that is, well, no, they shouldn't be in football. But the problem is that the rules are so, they're just very objective. It, it's basically, there's two aspects to it, really. In terms of the person, uh, it's, it's obviously to do with um, criminal convictions uh, and to do with uh, insolvency events. So bankruptcy or being attached to another football uh, insolvency. Um, so it's not looking at whether this person looks like they are a, um, a good business person or what links they have to the town or anything like that. Um, the second part of it is, is to do with uh, showing the finances. So that's one of the other issues we're going to have got at the moment because the EFL needs assurance that the, the, um, the potential owners will have about five million because I say 2.5 a year, which is the running cost really, the average running cost of a League One club. Um, now, the, 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 the issue there is the fact that it can be in the bank accounts, it can be lodged in that bank account, but there's not, they're not compelled to put that money into the club. It's not held in a, in a separate account. So there have been arguments, the reports, some of the governance reports um, said about, well, there should be licensing conditions that, that the owners have to deposit a certain amount into a um, like kind of a trust, really. And, and that money's only uh, comes into being if they sell up and they owe some money. Uh, so, so ultimately, you can pay off the creditors out of or pay off any debts out, out of that money in case they default. The problem is the EFL is not a governing body. It's just made up of 72 teams and ultimately they create the rules. And if you was an owner of a football club, are you going to make it difficult for you to get out if you need to get out? So for me at the moment, it's it's kind of they're judging their own cause. We saw we saw what happened with... Um, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you followed it closely yourself because obviously you're in the playoffs, but everybody's vote in compared to sort of returning uh, to, to, uh, to action, it was based on where they would be in the league, wasn't it? You know, uh, the four, all the formulas were, that were voted for would be what best served their team. And that's the problem. If the rules are voted by the clubs, the clubs will always vote for what serves them the best. So I think... The rules definitely need to change, but that's why I think maybe it can't be the EFL. It maybe needs to be, even come from government. You know, the, the government needs to needs to step in uh, and, and, and maybe provide a because the FA is not doing anything for me as the governing body. It doesn't. It's too close to the Premier League. It's just, in my view, they're in bed together. The FA and the Premier League. Um, you know, it's not really thinking about football as a whole. Um, you know, look at the salaries they've wasted on England managers. You know that that could have gone into the you know into the lower divisions. So I think there needs to be basically the government stepping. Football, you can't regulate yourself anymore. We need to bring in an in, independent body to uh, to regulate it. But that is a 
big political decision. And clearly, at the moment, I think the government might be tied up with a few other little bits and pieces that uh, <laughs> means that they're not really going to be getting the teeth into football at the moment, unfortunately. So there's obviously going to be a lot rumbling on behind the scenes at Wigan over the next, you know, the coming weeks and months. If we're looking at things from a, a football point of view, um, from the list I saw of outgoing players, I think it's 21 players have gone out since the 23rd of July, um, but there are still some recognisable players in there. So obviously Pompey fans looking at the Wigan lineup from a couple of games ago, I think it was your last league game, you had Gary Roberts, Cal Naismith and Viv Solomon Otterbohr in a sort of a three in midfield, all who are ex-Pompey. So you're not like, from the outside, it doesn't look like you're a Bolton in that you've, you know, you've not got your under-16s playing. And results-wise, we've had, you've, what is it, a 2-0 defeat against Dipswich and 3-2 against Gillingham, I think, are your two results. So yeah, it's not like yeah, you've been overrun. Yeah, as well. yeah, so what realistically are the season aspirations real, like on the pitch? Um, and what can Pompey expect this weekend from what is a you know a fairly new Wigan lineup for the most part? Yeah, well, it's obviously done your research, and to be honest, I'd stop counting because it's too <laughs> it's too depressing to keep counting these players. Like uh, as I said, that only Nesmith will be will be there from the side that started. Uh, he's doing well, Nesmith. Unfortunately, I don't think Roberts is going to play. Uh, his hamstring looks like it's gone again. Yeah, six weeks, uh, apparently, isn't it? Yeah, it, unfortunately, that age, if he keeps going, it's difficult to get back, really. And, you know, they're only on short-term contracts, uh, Gary Roberts, anyway. We've brought Dan Fox back as well. He was there last season. He's coming on a short contract again. Um, pretty much all the players we signed are on one-month deals. Um, that's mixed in them with, uh, as I said, Cal Smith, Lee Evans. Uh, he's played for Wales, Welsh International. Uh, Joey Garner up front. Um, and Tom Pierce, the left back, who came from Leeds. I mean, he's, he's still only a young lad, but he, he class him as a first team player. He played five or six games last season and did okay. Uh, the rest of them, are, as I said, the new uh, new signs. Solomon Tabor has done well. Um, I didn't know that much about him. I remember him a little bit at Blackpool, and I seemed to do okay there. And he, he looks good. Um, probably the floor player we've got at the moment. And that's mixed in then with uh, three or four, I think, of our under-23s will, from last season will be playing. But this, the, these are players who have consistently been winning. So, again, in comparison to Bolton, Wigan's academy is superb. Um, we went Category 2 last year, so the, the opposition got better, but we still kept winning the leagues. Um, we got to the quarter-final of the Youth Cup, knocked Tottenham out on the way. Um, if... Joey Gellhart, who we sold to Leeds, had played in the quarterfinal. Uh, he was injured against United. I think we'd have beaten them. We were just missing that little bit extra. Um, that would have been so disappointing because we would have got to the semi-finals and football would have been <laughs> shut down. <laughs> but um, so the, the, these youngsters are used to winning, and we're dipping into our twenty-threes. And there's a couple of guys in midfield. One, a guy called Merry. Uh, interestingly, last uh, on Tuesday night when we beat Liverpool six-one, we had Merry and Perry. In centre midfield, <laughs> maybe we should bring John Terry out of retirement. Maybe Perry and Terry, and uh, see how Good. we get on with back, that. You could play back three, maybe, or something random like that. Get yeah, something like that. But yeah, there's a few good, few good young players in there, and I think the bench will be very inexperienced. So you, you'll see, you'll see 
not like to say journeymen, but you know, players who've played quite a bit around the lower leagues uh, in the first eleven. Um, Neil Smith, I would say now, is one of the star players. Um, Garner probably as well. Just just to touch um, on Neil, Smith, sorry to interrupt there, Adam, but he, he where does he? He's sort of played in midfield, but he's also jumped in, isn't he? And um, you know, he's played defence. He's been all he's all been all over the shop for yeah, Wigan. He played, so, played centre back, didn't he, in your first game of the season? Yeah, is that yeah. Right? So where, where does yeah. he really fit in your team? Well, I would say his best position uh, would be on the right-hand side of the midfield. Uh, he's quite good cutting in on his left, um, but he will he's not one of those who won't use his right, so he will have a goal with it. But he, he can like go to the byline and then cut back on his left and put a good ball in. But last season, we're so short of centre-backs. Uh, we played West Brom. West Brom were flying at the time, top of the league. We just lost two one at Luton, uh, conceding two goals in the in the last minute to lose two one. Um, we had no centre halves, and we looked at the team lineup and we thought, "Who's playing centre back?" And then Nesmith just trots out at centre back, and he stayed there for about twelve games, and we did okay. You know, he played played really well there, and then. Towards the end of the season, again, we were cursed, though. We just kept losing centre-backs. In one particular game, I think Naismith played right wing, left wing, left back, centre-back. So he is your genuine utility player. But sometimes you say utility and you don't think they're good players. But I think he's improved so much. His confidence has grown. I've talked to Portsmouth fans before and they said Naismith's a bit of a marmite. You know, some like him, some don't. But I, I, I always thought he was OK. I thought some of the Wigan fans uh, treated him very poorly. They booed him when he was coming on in one game. Because he was just unlucky, really. There were games he came on and we can see the last-minute goal. It was nothing to do with him. But <laughs> but it was at the time when yeah. some of the Wigan fans wanted Paul, won Paul Cook out as well. And Cook and Naismith were associated almost as a package like Cook and Naismith, you know, you know what it's like. They always said you've got the favourites, but I thought he's some football. You know, I know footballers make mistakes. You know, you're not not perfect. Even the best of them do. And I, you know, I, I and I was really, really pleased for him uh, towards the end of the season when uh, he came good and he scored three or four goals in uh, in in that final run of the season. A couple of absolute worldies as well in there. You know, so yeah, he's probably not the player. He's probably improved since Prince Portsmouth. Um, Players tend to do that when they leave us. <laughs> what time? Yeah. Mate? Everyone improves in the league. Kenny Jacket, anyway. I'm not sure about Law, to be honest, because I think he he, he was a bit. He took a bit of time, but there is a player in there. Definitely, there is something. Mm. There is something there with him, but it took a while. But I think lockdown helped him. He seemed to bulk up a bit in lockdown and seemed to be a lot more powerful as a as a runner and. Uh, he seems to be a bit more direct and he scored a few goals. Uh, whether his confidence just lifted, um, because, you know, he, he, I think uh, he's, I get mixed up where they've all gone to now. I think he's gone to Swansea. He went to Swansea, yeah. Yeah. Did you play so Jamal so wide? Did you play him wide? In a yeah. he, he sort of played wide of a striker for us, sort of thing, rather than down the middle. Yeah, we play, we play like a three, three forwards. So you'd have, like, say, Keith Moore would be cent- central and then. Lower be on one side, so it's not it's not your old fashioned winger. It's kind of I suppose it's your old fashioned whatever is it uh, sort of inside right or inside left that type of position really. Um, but yeah, he, he improved a lot, and I'm another one. I, I mean, I think it's just the money that he came for. It was about three million, I think, and that that's big money for Wigan. 
uh, it's big money for lower championships. So I think I think some some Wigan fans expected him to be scoring twenty goals. Well, it's not like that, you know. I, I think there's a massive jump from League One to the Championship. Sometimes I'd say it's bigger than the Premier League one because the Premier League one can get levelled out because you get so much money that if you spend it well, you can kind of get a bit nearer, whereas the championship money is not that much greater than League One. So if, if you're an average League One side, it's it's really hard to step up to that to that level. So I think Law will do all right. I'm not saying he'll be Premier League, but I think he could uh, maybe float around the top of the championship uh, you know, for the next few years. So with this season for Wigan, what, what are your predictions? What would you be content with? Is this a case of... You're happy to just exist at the end of the season, even if you go down, or is it staying up is the goal? Or are you, yeah? What what is the general consensus in the fan base? Yeah, so as, as we are now, um, I think most people, if we survive, that's fantastic. We've still got a club, you know. It's a real threat now because, you know, fourteen months ago we hadn't lost a league club for twenty five years or something like that. Um, and we lost Barry, and, and and albeit Macclesfield had got relegated. I mean, you could say they were stitched up a bit there because you know they were relegated on an appeal in the end. So yeah, um, Stevenage, Stevenish thing, isn't it? Stevenish thing, yeah. So mm. we lost lost two two in effect league clubs there. So safe ends had a winding up order as well. Um, so if we survive, then that's great. But obviously, once you get the owners in, or if I don't want to tempt fair. If we get the owners in, I'd be presuming that we're not going to lose any more players because I just, I mean, they will, they will leave if, uh, clearly they'll leave if we don't have an owner because there will be clubs that will pick up the likes of Naismith and Evans, even if it, he might go back to Portsmouth. You, know? <laughs> you never know. But um, he, if, if we get owners and they're going to get paid the money and they know they're going to get paid, then... I think they'll stay. The young players will improve. They're very good young players. If we could sign one or two more, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we might kick in sort of after Christmas and go on a bit of a run, sort of pull away from the, the maybe leave it too late to get to the playoffs. But there's always like, I think in all divisions where there's a playoff system, there's always one side who kind of comes through and, and ultimately uh, gets that, gets that playoff position and then you never you never know I mean it's a bit weird for us really because the last three times we've been in this division uh, champions 100 points champions 87 points champions 98 points you know that's a phenomenal record at, um, at uh, the third tier and I also think as well that in all three of those seasons our striker topped or was either top or in the top two of the goal scoring charts in all those seasons as well so yeah, it's not going to be that clearly this season. <laughs> I think you'd have to be the most optimistic fan if you thought we were going to win the title. So, <laughs> I mean, we've not definitely avoided 15 points yet because we need... Um, that's we need the thing, isn't on. it? That's the big That's the big worry, I suppose. Because would you think that we're going to be capable of staying up if you do lose 15 points? No, I don't... I, don't, I mean, it was different with the 12 points in the Championship. I thought it was a small... But we were playing really well. Um, there was a momentum there and, and I think the players were kind of two fingers to whoever it might be. I mean, I'm not saying I'm blaming the EFL, but you could be angry at the owners. You could be, and there was a, there was something in the belly that 15 points so early in a season, you just, you just look at it and you think, oh God, that's a long, long way back. You know, it's, uh, 
It's like when you're going for a run and you see this big hill and you think, well, oh, it's a long way, long way up that hill and it's demoralised. Yeah, I get that all the time. Especially. Yeah. Yeah, Finish you know, you just can run. Yeah. Not like Andy, yeah, well, got, the man over there. I've got an injury, Achilles injury at the moment as well, so I can't run. Uh, so not things are not really going well for me this year. You know, <laughs> you should, you go, go and hang out with Gary Roberts maybe for a bit while he's uh, while he's recovering. Three legged race. Yeah, both, he, both got one hand. Top guy, one top guy, <laughs> top guy, Gary Roberts. Yeah, yeah he, no. he's, he, If you talk football with him, you could be there all night. He, and he, whenever he's been on, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. I actually bumped into him at the uh, the airport. Uh, and uh, he recognised me from the podcast and I was just talking to him for about an hour about football. He's just a proper, like, typical, like, Evertonian type, uh, just just talking football. And the, him, him and Cookie had loads of banter because, obviously, Cookie's a Liverpool fan and he's an Everton fan. So mm, yeah. it was uh, always always good value. Yeah. But he's done a good job for us. You know, whenever he's played, he's, he's never let us down. He works hard. And I suspect he's a good influence as well. Or, you know, a bit of a joker, but probably the sort of player you need really in the dressing room and someone to lift morale a bit really. Yeah, he's someone else that we're speaking about on the pod today. He's come out with a few comments today about how he was treated by our current manager when he left the club. So he's sort of, yeah, he's gone a bit viral in the Pompey circles again in the last sort of 12 hours or so, or last 24 hours for that reason. Well, I, 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 would, would you be team Roberts then? Uh, based on what we know about his personality and him as a person and the track record the other person involved has, then yeah, probably... Uh, if I was going to believe one of the two stories, it would be Gary Roberts's version of events. Yeah, I, can't Apologies, I thought it was back on my. Sorry, I thought it was back on my podcast and asking you questions. Sorry about no, that. No, you fire <laughs> away, mate. You fire away. No, I think I think you'd be hard pushed to find at the moment a Pompey fan who wouldn't be on Team Roberts. To put it that yeah. way. Agreed. Yeah, he's a good. He's a good guy. I like. I like. He's got a good sense of you. He did one of the. Uh, we did. We did a few. Uh, funny enough, actually, another another player who's a great guy. You've got there, Michael Jacobs. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you. I've um, you know, got my list. Give us a lowdown on him, mate, because Pompey fans, you know, we've seen him a little bit play against us, and Kenny Jackett's penciled him in to play in centre attacking midfield. So in a four-two-three-one, so behind the striker, he's got Ronan Curtis on the left-hand side, um, and Marcus Harness maybe on the right. So as an attacking three. So where do you think he's, he he's, uh, he's, he's the main forward now at the moment? Well, you got That's John a Marcus. Really good question, that is. Yeah, or John Marcus or <laughs> yeah. Ellis Harrison. Basically, our, yeah, Adam, so one of our the, uh, one of our issues has the, been that um, our main forward has, in terms of heat maps, ends up playing in a number ten role anyway. So we don't really have someone who's actually on the pitch yeah. playing as a main forward. They're dropping deep. Have you not got Pitt? Is Pittman deep. not there anymore? No, he's gone, gone? Swin- he's gone to Swindon. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Because he was a bit of a. I think when when you signed him, I think we were after him. So I think he was. Uh, I think he was one of those that Wigan looked out for and didn't want him to do very well that season. So, uh, but he, he, he's the guy from Doncaster, isn't he, that you've got up from? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, John Marquis. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, they've all got longer at the moment, aren't they? A lot of them's not had a haircut, but hey, I think he had longer before, didn't he? Um, yeah, so J- Jacobs, for me, most of his Wigan career was on the left. Um, That's what I've heard, he's, yeah. he's, he's right-footed, but he's not... He's not that when he played on the right. I think he struggled. He's not one of them wingers. It's probably why a lot of fans maybe wouldn't necessarily take to him because he's not one of them who skins his man and puts a cross in. Um, but he's a good footballer. He's got. A, he's a good footballer. He's a good football brain. He, he scores a few goals. Um, you know, just chips in um, with you know if you 
especially at League One level. He, he's someone who can get ten goals, which for midfield is is decent. I'm not sure about him playing that position. Um, I mean, like I said, he is a good footballer, but that that's to me is your. I think that that's probably your, often your best player plays there. Really, you know, the one who's got the kind of slip that good pass in and. Um, you know, spot the run, score goals from the outside of the box, and that type of thing. Really, I think he's um, he's a good player on the left because he works hard. He'll help your left back out, um, and he, he does create create goals. And even though he does come comes inside, but he he, he doesn't doesn't do it in a way that uh, is so predictable that he'd lose the ball. You know, and he doesn't mind City. It depends what your left back's like as well. If you've got if he plays on the left and you've got an attacking left back. He doesn't mind sitting back for a bit and, and letting the left left back bomb on because he and, and he plays them in. He did that a lot with um, Anthony Robinson at, at Wigan. Uh, but nice guy as well, you know, a bit bit like Gary Roberts off the pitch. He'll always do an interview. He works hard. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame the way it ended because he it, it ended with him on on the stretcher going off. It, that's the other thing with him. He's he's picked up a lot of niggly injuries in the last couple of seasons. He's a bit of a misses 12 games a season, man, uh, that type of player. So, I don't know, maybe maybe a change of scenery and he'll have a bit more luck with injuries. But, yeah, I don't think he's a bad bad signing. Um, it's a bit sad seeing him running out in a Portsmouth shirt against us, really. You know, it's, uh, but I'm glad he's got a club. You know, he's got, he's got a decent, I'm sure he'll be earning a reasonable wage and he deserves it because he didn't deserve to be one of those however many players who were floating around at the moment with no club. You know, so, give, it, give him, a, I would say, give him time, give him a chance. Suppose that maybe, I, I guess a lot of people don't have much faith in any of Jacket's signings really at the moment, do they? So, I suppose <laughs> the fact he's attached to, to him maybe isn't, isn't necessarily a good thing, but I'd give him a chance. I think Poppy fans are desperate to give someone a chance, definitely in that said attacking midfield role. Uh, what Pompey really lack, I suppose, Adam, is is the link up between the the midfield um, and the attack. So we're sitting incredibly deep at the moment, um, and the strikers having to come hunting for the ball. And the centre attacking midfielders you've had playing in that role have tended to be more what you'd think of as a centre midfielder, really, um, or a striker. So what we really needed again, what Kenny Jacket has sort of marketed with the signing is what I'm going to say, is he's the player to provide that creative link up and play the ball through, you know, play the ball through to John Marquis, spread the play, etc. Do you think he's maybe oversold that a little bit then in that case? Possibly, yeah. Or the, the other way of looking at it is maybe, maybe Paul Cook and uh, Gary Caldwell and, Whoever uh, Warren Joyce, who've managed him previously, haven't haven't spotted that in him. Um, I mean, he has played the odd game there, and I'm not saying he's been terrible, but I just I just associate him with a left left sided player, really. Um, I mean, he did struggle a bit, I guess, because we had Nick Powell playing in that role, so he wasn't going to get in ahead of Nick Powell. And then Windass came in, and even though he got a lot of stick, he was a decent player for that sort of number ten role. So maybe. Maybe he's a good footballer, so I wouldn't write him off in that position. It it just surprises me that that he's built him up as that marquee signing in that 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 very key role. I'm not sure that's the type of player he is, and he might end up getting pushed out to the left, and then I guess he'll be back back where you started, really trying to find that link up player. 
Um, right, let's finish this off, Adam, with a lovely little cheeky score prediction. And and what do you think the game's going to go? You know, what's your what's your feelings on the score for the game on the weekend? Well, it's a bit of an odd one because obviously you've had two nil nils, and you know we our results uh, we've had a two three two defeats, we've had a two nil defeat, and a six one win. So it's <laughs> it's how do you predict that really? Uh, probably somewhere in the middle. I, I'd be amazed if it's another nil-nil. Um, I just don't think Wigan's defence is capable of keeping a clean sheet at the moment. So, I think I'd, I'd take a 1-1. One, one. I think if we got a 1-1, one, one, I'd be delighted. I, I actually saw this as our most difficult of the first three games. Uh, it's which Gillingham and this one. I thought this would be... Because we've got a terrible, terrible record against uh, <laughs> against Portsmouth. Uh, not, not beat Portsmouth since 2009. So, yeah, that, that in itself doesn't fill me with great confidence. So if we can get away with a point, then, you know, for me, that would be a really good result, real positive, and we can maybe kick on from that. So you, you, I have a microphone on mute, but you're saying that we're a tougher game on paper for you than uh, Ipswich were. Is one of the funniest things I've heard for the last few days, actually. Yeah, you should see Andy's face then. He literally <laughs> creased up. I mean, I think we need to we need to try and galvanise a bit of positivity, but the fan base at the moment is not happy with how things are going at Pompey. Yeah, so I mean, just quickly on that, I mean, I think it was just because, I, you know, I watched a couple of uh, Ipswich games towards the end of last season. They were, it, I thought Ipswich had just, they were absolutely dire. Yeah, they were shit. Whereas I think, yeah. I, I looked at Portsmouth and thought, maybe... Maybe if they hadn't have ended the season, that there was still a little sneaky, sneaky chance of getting in the top two. I, I mean, they might have felt fallen short, but I, I don't think the break helped Portsmouth and it's which it's which ended the season. And I, I didn't really rate them the other day. I thought I thought we played okay against them. I, I, I still don't think uh, I don't don't rate the manager to be honest. Um, I don't. I think they've lost lots of the good players. Um, they're pretty much all Shrewsbury's players because they're still left over from when the other guy was in from Shrewsbury. So, you know, I, I suppose you've had him for a long time, Jacket. Now, and obviously, you know, you know your manager better than me. But I don't know. Sometimes, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think you'll be up there at the end of the season. Um, maybe. It may be in spite of Jacket rather than because of him. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the case. I think that's the case. But um, Adam, mate, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, spending so much time talking to us. I know the Pompey fans are listening will really find it interesting. So appreciate it, mate. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. And hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, uh, in the in 2021, we can do this again because that will mean that we still exist as a football club. So uh, fingers crossed on that. <laughs> Is that with both of us in the championship? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, next time we meet, let's go for a, <laughs> yeah. let, let's go for a top of the table clash, but no, to decide the title. <laughs> all right, let's have it, and uh, you know we'll see what happens, mate. But you know, good luck for the future. Thanks to um, all. We, oh, quickly, actually, Adam, tell people where they can follow you guys and give you guys some support on the podcast. Yeah, so uh, we're at, uh, at PWU Podcast. Uh, you can find us on on Twitter, um, and if if anyone wants to make a a token uh, donation to our crowdfunding page for we've made 660,000 and Jermaine Defoe putting 5,000 in because of a uh, thousand pounds wow. for each goal is each goal is scored against us in a 9-1 win for Tottenham so uh, 
So maybe the Portsmouth fans might think, yeah, let's put a little bit. So if you just go on crowdfunding and put Wigan Athletic in, if you can spare a few pence and everything, every little bit counts. And um, yeah, uh, good club Portsmouth, you know, similar similar to us. And uh, hopefully we will be meeting again many times in the future. Well, I'll certainly chuck you a few quid out of it. And I'm sure some of the people listening will do it as well. So um, thanks again, mate. Uh, appreciate it and have okay. a good evening. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Have a thanks, good Adam. Take care. Thanks, mate. Bye. Cheers, dude. Bye. Thanks again, Adam, from the uh, Progressive Unity podcast. It was great having him on. Um, and yeah, as a lecturer of law uh, at university, it was pretty interesting hearing his insight. And I actually think I learned something from listening to Adam, um, probably more than your students do listening to you, Andy, in your lectures. But uh, I don't, I'm not going to dignify that with a response to you. Uh, I receive excellent module feedback. Thank you very much. And that was a lot better than the first take. So, yeah, no, thanks, <laughs> thanks again, Adam, uh, for coming on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hugh, just want to jump in, mate, and uh, just let people know that, obviously, with the Shrewsbury game, um, there were problems with iFollow, so it cut to the stadium of lights. If you haven't already, email the iFollow support team, and they are offering full refunds for that game. So, um, I received mine a couple of days ago. They took sort of two weeks to reply, but they are offering full refunds. So if they say no to you, then tell them that you know that other people are getting them and they should cave. So yeah, send an angry email. Get that money back from the EFL. They don't need it. Definitely get in. But thank you again, everyone, for listening. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.